when you are that far away from home and you're out of contact with your family, it is our job, it is my job to bring that touch of home back to you and to let you know that I noticed. You're listening to an American Red Cross in Greater New York podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Michael DeVolpierre, communications officer with the American Red Cross in Greater New York. For the past few months, we've been highlighting many of the different ways COVID-19 has affected families across our region and how we at the Red Cross have adapted our work to address these new challenges. Today, we will discuss the difficulties that the pandemic has placed on our nation's military communities. For nearly 140 years, the American Red Cross has been there for active and retired service members and their families at every stage of military service. This Red Cross program goes by the name of Service to the Armed Forces, or SAF. The work of our SAF program takes many different forms in communities and military installations across the U.S. and on bases all over the world. In Greater New York, we have an incredible team of volunteers and employees who support this program in person and virtually. Since COVID-19 began to upend lives all over the world, the Red Cross has been working around the clock to address new challenges for service members, veterans, and their families. These include health concerns, longer periods of time away from loved ones, increased isolation, and added uncertainty. In this next episode of our podcast, I'll be sharing my conversation with Red Cross team member Catherine Jones, who coordinates the delivery of Red Cross services at Yokota Air Base outside of Tokyo, Japan, where she's worked for more than two years. Prior to that, she served with the Red Cross on overseas bases in Italy, Germany, and Iraq. She's also worked at multiple military installations here in the U.S. In our conversation, we discuss the many different ways she and her team support service members overseas 24-7, 365 days a year. And she also discusses her unique history with the Red Cross and her commitment to service. Good morning. Good morning. Or good well, good morning. evening for you. <laughs> How are you? Doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. What what time is it over there where, where you are? Um, it is 9 p.m. on okay. Thursday night. Where are you exactly? I am located at Yokota Air Base um, outside of Tokyo, Japan. My position oversees all of our... Um, operations within Japan, uh, mainland Japan, Okinawa, and the Korean Peninsula. How long have you been in your your role in Japan? So I moved to Japan just over two years ago. It was two years in April. And prior to that, I was a, what we called at the time, senior station manager in Vicenza, Italy for a year and a half. What brought you to this work? Were you with the Red Cross prior in the U.S. and then and maybe in a different line of service? So I, I'm i a, a, a Red Cross child. My mother was a Red Cross disaster volunteer. I think a lot of us started out um, at the, the hands of our parents. Um, she was a disaster volunteer in North Texas. Um, I actually have a certificate in my office from my first disaster operation um, when I was seven years old. <laughs> so oh, wow. I, I went and helped with... Um, with one of the shelters that she was opening after an ice storm. And that was my first experience as a Red Cross um, youth volunteer at that point. And it just kind of came into my blood. My own father was um, in the National Guard and retired whenever I was younger. Um, and so it just it seemed like a really good fit. Um, and Saturday on Halloween will be 15 years for me since wow. coming to SAF. Is there something that 
people don't understand, even even people within the Red Cross don't understand or or should should know about the work that the Red Cross does where you are? I think most often when I'm talking to people about what we do, they are surprised by how much it is. I teach disaster. I teach health and safety. We partner with Armed Forces Blood Programs to do blood drives overseas. We do sheltering. We do um, emergency communications, briefings, preparedness, education, all, everything that your local Red Cross does with their staff of 20, 30 people, our Red Cross does on a military installation with a staff of one or two. I understand that you're you're at the ready for for, um, for pretty long hours uh, for an extended period of t- periods of time. Can you talk a little bit about that? So usually when people ask me um, to to describe my day or what the schedule looks like, I ask them to pick a day because everything's <laughs> different. <laughs> so um, it it really is, you know, being service to the armed forces staff members, um, there is an expectation that we are 24-7 staff members 365 and that we, we will go when called, where called without any questions. Um, and... Many of us, um, many of us take that to a, a personal, a personal level of really feeling like this is our calling. This is what we're supposed to be doing, um, and that is is part of what makes those those long days doable. You know, there's there, there's no rest. Sometimes you know you get you think you're going to get eight hours, you actually get three, and you go in and and you do the job and. That's um, that's what we're here for, and it's what we all take great pride in being able to to show up and make sure that we can continue to do those services for the community. Talk a little bit about some of those um, some of those critical challenges and critical needs related to COVID that you're seeing on base. A lot of what we're seeing, a lot of what we are being asked for in terms of support, is around helping to provide. Um, resiliency education. Um, it is around helping to provide day-to-day items, comfort items. You know, all of the service members and family members, DOD civilians, contractors that come into both Japan and Korea are required to do what's called a restriction of movement for 14 days after they land. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the families um, in particular are not really prepared for that. Um, it is really a different kind of significant strain. You know, if you are a single service member or civilian coming in, you're put into a barracks type situation. Mm -hmm. And in a few of our locations, you essentially are in your room for 20 hours a day and you get some allotted, you know, outside time. It's very, very restrictive. Um, It's there to protect the force. It's there to to honor our host nation's request. But that, Imagine sitting in your office space, a room about the size of your office, for mm-hmm. 20 to 22 hours a day, and that's that's your world for the next yeah. two weeks. Um, very unlike a lot of the quarantines that you might be seeing, like in the United States, where people are still able to, you know, go out and walk around the neighborhood, socially distance, you know, take precautions, maybe go to the grocery store. These folks aren't allowed to do that, and so at many of our locations, um, we are partnering with community members, with spouse organizations, mm-hmm. with 
the chaplains, the USO, military and family life consultants, and just community members to do things like drop off toiletries, drop off oh. board games for for the kids, um, reading materials, yeah. help to facilitate getting um, necessary items, comfort items or hygiene items. Some of, some of the individuals end up being quarantined without um, without a lot of notice. Now we have the holidays quickly approaching. Are there service members that would normally be able to go home that aren't gonna be able to do so? In Japan um, and Korea is similar. If, if you leave to go back to the United States to let's say see your family, then you are automatically gonna be quarantined again when you get back. Um, mm -hmm. So that's adding on additional time away from your duties, from your work, um, and being back in that really restrictive environment. Um, yeah. And so that is an area right now where you know, many families would be looking at traveling home over the holidays, being able to, to spend some time to decompress, and that's just not an option. Yeah. Just, it's just not an option for folks right now. And so particularly for our single service members who don't have a husband or a wife and children here um, don't have a significant other to to kind of spend and share that that time with. This is going to be a really isolating season yeah. for them. How have we, the Red Cross, um, stepped in to address some of these um, emotional concerns since COVID? One of the things that has been uh, most exciting for me, and exciting is probably not a great word considering the circumstances. Um, but we have th this wonderful program called Reconnection Workshops, Mind Body and Mind Body Modules um, that we offer through service to the armed forces. Um, it's a free program. It has multiple modules, everything from um, communicating clearly to communicating with your children. Um, there are child modules. Um, very early on, in want to say May timeframe, our our folks at National Headquarters put together a specific virtual COVID module. Um, and we got really great response to that. Um, we were able to start pushing it out worldwide and it's led by licensed clinicians. So people are, are really having a chance to engage with mental health providers in a, a safe and non-threatening way. Um, some of the feedback that we've gotten here in Asia Pacific Division, because we, we have managed it a little bit differently instead of having it be specific to each location. We've opened it up to um, all of our locations. So they all push it out to their communities at the same time. And we may have a spouse on there from South Korea who is on there with an active duty member from Okinawa who's on there with a civilian from Yakota. Um, and they're all able to kind of come together and, and process this new environment and new world and these stressors in a different way and at the same time feel united by the fact that they're all living with this in this strange overseas environment away from their families away from the normal um the normal things that might make it a little bit easier um, even even things like food delivery that's that's not a thing here it doesn't happen in the same way mm -hmm. um, so just being able to bond over those things and then learn some of those concrete skills with a, a licensed clinician um, has been really helpful. And then yeah. we also have a moderator on the call that kind of watches the watches the chats. And so if we notice that someone is having a stronger emotional reaction or has maybe been triggered by something, we're, we're able to take that person off into a side room okay. with a 
separate facilitator so they can have that one-on-one support that they need. Um, And having the ability to do that, particularly in this military environment, um, has been just, it's been life-changing for people because they have not... um, they have not been able to connect in the same way with services kind of being put on a on a halt. You know, yeah. when, when it first came out, it impacted everything and it, for for the military. It, it stopped a lot of our movements. So um, mental health providers that we were expecting to come into locations on just kind of their normal rotation suddenly couldn't couldn't get here. Um, and so this has been a great way for the American Red Cross to be able to step up and and really assist in bridging that gap for folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other things that um, just got released about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, is um, we've started expanding those modules to include some of our other workshops so that um, now that that people are starting to move into this new normal, this new reality, um, a lot of the normal stressors are coming back as well. Um, and some some new additional stressors. You know, many of our locations just now moved back from a, a completely virtual format for school. Many of the childcare locations have been um, been shut down or severely limited. And so you have service members, single parents, dual service members, um, who are having to try to juggle that mission critical job with childcare, with teaching their kids, um, with worrying about parents who are in that um, increased risk category back in the United States. And so having the ability to offer some of these other modules that can teach just just some stress solutions is, is one of them um, on how to manage that ongoing day-to-day stress. You know, when you, when you look back at your work so far um, in Japan or in Italy or, or maybe your, your broader Red Cross work, is there a story um, um, that comes to mind that, that or that always comes back to you um, that you think illustrates the, I guess, the importance of, of the work that you've been doing and that the Red Cross has been doing for service members? There is the, the one that, um, so on, on my last deployment to Iraq, um, there was this young, young service member who is a private that would come into our office every single morning um, before the workday, I worked an overnight shift, so he would usually be in there between six and seven o'clock in the morning. And our office was located, I don't know, maybe 600 yards from the dining facility where you could get pretty much anything you wanted for breakfast, you know, like made to order eggs or, um, hot things, pastries, anything. But he would always come into our office and take our little bitty, little bitty cardboard Red Cross cups. I don't know if you know the ones I'm talking about. They're about mm-hmm. six, six ounces, um, and a packet of instant oatmeal off of our shelf because we kept like snack foods for everyone. Um, and that was his breakfast. And one day I just asked him and said, "Dude, what's so special about my brown sugar oatmeal? Like you could have." pancakes and waffles and all of this, but every day you come in here for my like mediocre coffee and brown sugar oatmeal. <laughs> What's the deal? And he looked at me and he said, because I know if if I don't come in here, then you'll notice. 
and I don't have anyone else that will notice if I don't show up. And for me, that's why I'm here. Because sometimes people just need someone to notice. Sometimes people just need to know that there is a red crosser there that will show up for them and will be there for them and provide mediocre coffee and brown sugar oatmeal or toothpaste or baby formula if they're in a, a COVID quarantine barracks or we passed out, you know, little Easter goodie bags for the kids that were there over Easter, whatever it is. When you are that far away from home and you're out of contact with your family, it is our job, it is my job to bring that touch of home back to you and to let you know that I noticed. Sorry. <laughs> that's a, that's a beautiful story. <laughs> and um, I, I find it incredibly touching. And um, I mean, you really you know, exemplify the, the work that the Red Cross does all over the world. Now you're you're deployed with with your with your two kids. You yeah. said you had, and you, how old did you say they were? Um, Noah is eight, and Amelia is six, um, almost seven. You being deployed, you can also be uh, the beneficiary of some of these services as well. Is that? We can be. So, um, yeah, my children. And I, we moved overseas when my daughter was four months old and my son was not yet two. So um, they've, this is all they've known <laughs> is living overseas. Um, uh -huh. They have a very different kind of perspective. They really are third culture kids. Yeah. And this is the third country that they've lived in outside of the United States. Um, and so that definitely, like mili many military kids, um, they're kind of creating their own culture and their own identity. The, the yeah, dog. the cute like, little dog. <laughs> might have been one of them. Um, in terms of programs that that they take ad advantage of here, um, that they're able to be in, involved in, they um, have both done the preparedness programs, Prepare with Pedro, um, mm -hmm. and has done Pillowcase Project. Um, Amelia is not quite old enough yet, but Noah was old enough old enough this year. Uh -huh. um, both of them are involved in scouts. Um, I'm also a volunteer scout leader. And so um, one of the things that was super fun last year that really helped to um, help Noah to kind of understand some of some of what mom's job was, is I was able to go in and actually teach um, basic first aid to his scout den. And suddenly like the light bulb went off in his little, at that time, seven-year-old brain was like, oh, this is what mommy does. So, um, and then this year working on the the fires, um, all of that happened during our during our fire prevention week here on base. And so Noah was learning at school and with the fire department about different types of fires and what happens if you um, get evacuated from a fire. And, you know, they'll come in and they'll ask, they're like, mommy, why are you having to work so late again? Are you on another call? Um, because I, I do keep really odd hours um, because of our, yeah. our work. Um, but this has been a great way to really help bring it home and explain for for them something tangible that mommy hit, mommy does that can help yeah. them understand. Um, and what you're doing, your, your mother was doing. So 
do you see yourself in that situation and, and um, you know, bringing your Red Cross passion and knowledge to back down to your children like your, your mother did for you? I do. I do. Um, you know, they, the, the kids come with me every chance that they get. Um, and particularly now during COVID, I think they've seen my office about as much as they've seen their, their house at this point. And um, they have a whole little section set up over in the side so that whenever I take them in, I can just like put them um, in the corner of my office and they, they work on their homework or, or whatever is necessary. But, you know, the, the kids, talk about ways that they can volunteer and do things. And they will, um, each of them has a share bank. And Noah, this last year, decided that his his share bank that he saves from the money he, he earns and Tooth Fairy and things like that, um, that the share portion, he wanted to give it to the local Red Cross here. So um, we went and bought snacks for for the COVID quarantine out of his out of his share bank and then gave it to the the local Red Cross manager here. And so I, I think that they they see that and and are growing up with kind of that heart of service too. And you know, I my mother was a therapist, my father was a teacher. Um and we grew up I grew up in in service. You know, my mom, like I said, was a Red Cross volunteer and I hope that I'm passing that legacy on to my next little generation here. Well, it looks like you are. I really appreciated the time to talk to you. Thank you for sharing um, all your incredible work. And um, I mean, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And it's been really nice. Thank you so much to Catherine for taking the time to talk to me. And I also want to offer my deepest gratitude to all who serve. This episode was edited and produced by me, Michael DeVolpierre. Thank you so much for listening. Let's continue to look out for one another.